I would like to begin a new series this morning on the five solars. I'd like to begin a series on the five solars. And um, <clears throat> you will know what this means as we, as we continue. But as I begin this morning, I'd like to ask you a question. Because this is the Bible study section, I'd like to hear from you. Why, why are you a Protestant? Why, why are you a Protestant? Yes. Generally, because the Catholic Church is is unbiblical, or yeah, it was and still is. Uh, okay. Someone else? Yes. Okay, so Roman Catholicism deviated from the truth. There emerged what we call the Reformation, and uh, which was aimed at restoring, if you will, the the truths of God's word. And because of it, then uh, that Reformation brought forth Protestantism. Okay. Anyone else? we say when we are protesting, it's not only that we are protesting against Roman Catholicism it's also that we are we are saying that there is a, there's somewhere we are going where, where we are going back to the truth of God's word and that's why then we would be called Protestants and there, and there, there could be all sorts of reasons that you would give but then on October 31st, 1517, the year 1517, an Augustinian monk by the name Martin Luther uh, nailed his 95 theses on the uh, castle church in Wittenberg, or Wittenberg, Germany. Now, he was complaining about the false ways of Roman Catholicism. And so then, 
there's a there's a sense in which we can't talk about Protestantism without without talking about the Catholics. And uh, Martin Luther was not quite protesting, but rather he was inviting the uh, Roman Church for a public dialogue regarding the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> people came. So when he nailed this 95 thesis on that uh, that church door, uh, there were people that came and took them. His students came and took uh, these 95 theses. They copied them. They distributed them all over Germany and eventually all over um, Europe. Now, what came out of, of it is what we call the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. This was a dispute against the theological adulteries, if you will, of Roman Catholicism, which distorted God's word. They distorted the gospel, the truth that God has granted us. The Reformation was not coming up with new things. It was going back to things that the church already believed in and taught because they had the word of God. The Reformation was going back to the truths of the apostles. <clears throat> so it was, it was a kind of movement that was apostolic in nature. The effects of the Reformation were so tremendous that <clears throat> 500 years later, um, yeah, it's actually 505 years later now, this month, it's 505 years later, we still feel these effects of the Reformation. The effect was so tremendous that to do church history and to skip over it would be to err greatly. We would, we would make a big mistake if we would study the history of the church and forget to look at the Reformation. The Reformation brought the church back to the preaching of God's word. And it shouted to the rooftops, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the life of the church was revived. The Bible was given back to the, to the hands of the lay people, having been translated in their languages. The truth was now in the hands of most people, if not everyone. The truth of the gospel was recovered, and countless people got converted out of this reformation. Um, God used Martin Luther greatly in having him pin the 95 Theses on the castle, uh, uh, castle church, the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. Now at the heart of the Reformation were what we are considering this morning and in the next five weeks, the five solas, which would be, would be at the heart of the, 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 the truth of God's word. And so in the next five weeks from, from today, we will be considering the five solas. What are these five solas? <clears throat> Who can tell me what five solas are? Don't tell me, don't tell, sorry, just go ahead, yes. <laughs> just, I'm just preempting what you're going to say, but it's okay. <laughs> Uh 
for the glory of God alone. Uh-huh. Uh, we can talk about the scripture alone. Okay. Yeah, so, so sola is a Latin word that means alone or only. Now, when you hear that word, you can't help but hear the, the English word solo. Um, and so the five solas emerged out of the Reformation. Um, and they're completely biblical, and that's why we'll be, we'll be considering them. Uh, we've constantly mentioned them here, um, and so it's, it's not a new thing, but then we are going to go through them uh, one by one so that we may be able to get a good grasp of what they are. And, and, and my hope is that we may be a, a five solas church, that we may be a truly biblical church that is based on these five solas. Sola gratia. Sola Fide, Solas Christus, Sola Scriptura, and Soli Deo Gloria. And so those, those, those are Latin words meaning that <clears throat> uh, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, based on scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Now this morning... I'd like us to consider the first one, sola gratia, grace alone, grace alone. I'd like to begin here because everything that everyone has is by the grace of God. God reveals his glory to us by his grace. God gave us Christ by his grace. God, God has given us faith by his grace. God gave us his word by his grace. Everything we have comes to us from God through His grace, by His grace. And, and this sola, sola gratia, communicates that salvation is by the grace of God alone. And that's what we'll be considering. That salvation is all the work of God. It's all a work of God. If, if God is not gracious, no one can be saved. It's all of God's grace. So La Gratia communicates to us that saving grace is a sovereign work of God. That saving grace is sovereign grace. That it is all done by God out of his mere good pleasure. So that if God is not gracious to sinners, no one would be saved. If God would not grant grace, no sinner who has ever lived would ever be saved. Now, Christianity, brethren, is a religion of pure grace one of the things that distinguishes Christianity from Islam from Hinduism, Shintoism Buddhism and all the religions that are in this world is that Christianity is a religion of grace and grace alone, nothing else but grace and so we sing amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, only in Christianity we sing amazing grace. How can it be that thou, my God, hast died for me? Only in Christianity. No other religion has the concept of grace in the sense that Christianity has. Grace is understood as unmerited favor. If you may have heard that word. That God gives us that which we do not deserve. That we, we don't deserve to be loved. We don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to be shown mercy. But grace, grace says God gives mercy, love, grace, uh, 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 compassion and all these things 
out of his mere good pleasure, out of his grace, in an unmerited fashion. We don't merit it. We don't earn it. It's given to us. So grace completely removes any work that anyone can do for them to be saved. Anything that you think you can give God for God to save you, grace removes it. Grace says you cannot earn your salvation by your works. You cannot do anything so that God may save you. So the gracious God must, as it were, shine his face upon you if you would be saved. The gracious God must display his grace to you if you would be saved. The signature text here is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. But even before, <clears throat> even before we look at Ephesians 2, let me take you through a couple of verses that communicate this truth, that salvation is by the grace of God alone. <clears throat> Go with me to John. John chapter 1. The Gospel of John. <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 14 through to 17. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from who comes, sorry, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It is out of, out of the being of God that grace flows. It is from him that we have received grace upon grace. And while Moses comes with the law, brings the law, the Lord Jesus Christ brings grace and truth. And so, <clears throat> uh, uh, th th those verses there tell us that we need God. God must do something. We need, we need Christ. Christ must be gracious to us. He who from whom uh, 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 grace upon grace abounds must be gracious to you. And this is what it means that salvation is by the grace of God. Go to Acts. The book of Acts chapter 20. And verse 24, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, the Bible says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord, uh, from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Salvation 
is by the grace of God. <clears throat> Go with me to Romans. Romans chapters 4 and 5. So that Abraham, Abraham was saved by the grace of God. Romans 4.16, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. The promise of God that he gives both in Genesis 3.15 and in, in the offspring of Adam sorry, of Abraham, they are all given or, or it all depends on the grace of God. That's what Paul tells us here, that the promise rests upon the grace of God and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And so salvation is by grace. If you have been saved here, you do not give God anything. You did not do anything for you to be saved. You are saved by the grace of God alone. Chapter 5, Romans, and verse 15. So Paul is uh, going through this discourse, telling us of how we, <clears throat> we've received from our federal head, from Adam, our representative, we, we are now counted sinners because of his sin. And he's saying that those who are in Adam are in sin. Those who are in Christ are saved. Look at verse 15. Romans 5.15 But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, now that's, that's Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You see the contrast there? Those who are in Adam, they are counted as transgressors, sinners, because of Adam. Those who are in Christ are counted as righteous because of the grace of God that is given through Christ. You know, it's... it's the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that comes through Jesus Christ that counts anyone righteous. Anyone righteous. Now, turn with me to Ephesians. And chapter 1. This is a passage that we'll be considering this morning. <clears throat> or at least a couple of verses there. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Salvation is by grace alone. God gives it freely to whomever he pleases. Those that have been saved have not been saved because they are any better than others. They have been saved because God has been merciful to them. And so it's to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? According to the riches of his grace. God has been gracious to you and me here if we have been saved. If you have been saved, it's because God has given it to you for free. Just imagine it for a second. That there is nothing that God requires from you. That God gives salvation freely. And the example is given of the man who is walking and he finds a couple of beggars and he gives to one beggar and he leaves out the other beggars out of his mere good pleasure out of his grace he gives to the one and leaves the other and that's how god displays his grace god is gracious to whomever he will he will show mercy on whomever he will it's not because it's not because there's anything special in us in you that god saves you it's out of his grace out of his goodness out of the riches the apostle paul says of his grace and his grace is a glorious grace it's, it's unfathomable there's a sense in which we sing with a hymn writer i know not why god's wondrous grace to me has been made known but i know whom i have believed i'm persuaded that he's able to keep me to the end it's an, an unfathomable grace and so the apostle paul calls it there his glorious grace look at chapter 2 of ephesians now before we look at that go back with me to romans and then we'll we'll finish with ephesians romans 11 Romans 11. I'd like you to see here that it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Your ethnicity does, ha does not have a bearing to, to the salvation that God gives. Romans 11. The Apostle Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. And so he's talking about the Israelites now. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And you're going to see that those are those whom he has predestined, those whom he has chosen. He's not, he's not rejected them. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Verse 3. Lord, they have killed or they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Verse 4. But what is uh, what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7000 men 
who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So that's, that's the context uh, uh, in which the apostle gives us verse 5. He says, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Anyone who is saved is saved by grace. The remnant of Israel, they're not saved because they are Israelites. Far from it. They are saved because they have been chosen by grace. They are a remnant because God will save them by his grace. Verse 6. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And so, even the Israelites, whom we see in the Old Testament, is a chosen people of God. Even that Israelite is saved by the grace of God. They are not saved because they are, they are an Israelite. Rahab was not an Israelite. God saved her out of his mere good pleasure, out of his grace. And so it, 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 it's not because of works. It's not on the basis of works. And the works there are the works of the law, anything that we do, our ethnicity, anything that comes from us. It's not based on works. It is all of God's grace. Now let's consider finally Ephesians chapter 2. And then I'll give you an opportunity to interact with, with this, to ask questions or make comments. Ephesians 2. This is one of the, the most glorious passages in the whole Bible. <clears throat> and you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then he puts that, uh, that proclamation there in the middle. By grace you have been saved. It's by grace alone that anyone is saved. It's by God's free gift that anyone is saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, look at verse 7. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. No one is saved because of anything that they have. Anything that is in them. The grace of God crushes our pride. The grace of God tells us there is nothing that you can give God. All your good works, all your best works are as filthy rags before God. God does not want them. He's not, he's not in need of them. All you need is the grace of God. So he says there that it's, it's out of the immeasurable reaches of God's grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus that we are saved. Verse 8, this is the signature text. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We'll be considering that next week. Uh, uh, that 
that part there through faith. And then the Apostle Paul makes this bold declaration that it's by grace that you have been saved. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Do not deceive yourself. Make no mistake. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, he says, not a result of works. It's not by going to church. It's not by being a religious person. It's not by being a good person. It's not by being born in a Christian family. It's not because of anything that you have or anything that you have given God. It is not a result of works. And the reason it's not of works is so that you may not boast. So that you may not think that you contributed in your salvation. Salvation is a work of God. Salvation is monogistic. It is completely dependent upon God. And if God does not save, you will not be saved. If God does not display grace, salvation cannot be obtained. The psalmist tells us in Psalm chapter 3 verse 8 that salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah tells us in his prayer in Jonah chapter 2, salvation belongs to the Lord. God must save and God alone. That's what the hymn writer says, right? Thou must save, rock of ages, thou must save and thou alone. If God doesn't save, we would not be saved. If God does not display his grace to us, if God doesn't give you salvation, you won't be saved. And he does this out of his mere good pleasure, by his grace. Any question or comment, interaction there? Yes, Victor. Paul, having labored in short and we are saved by grace, then in Romans 8 says, asks, shall we then continue to sin that grace may find? And he says, by no means. Then my question is, what is, what is the role of the law in sanctification? Where where, where the, do works come in? in? Not the work of salvation, but uh, after we are saved. I'd like to answer that question. We've already gone through this in our uh, 1689 uh, London Baptist Confession of Faith Studies. When we were going through chapter 19 of the law of God. What's the work of the law in the Christian who's been saved by grace alone? Yes. So that um, they 
they know uh, in a way what is right and what is wrong. And although that can be affected by their food and their conscience cannot be that um, right, but nonetheless God still feeds God in their hearts. Um, but when he has saved the Christ from the Christian now out of love, don't obey um, the God who has saved him. So that he looks at the law of God and wants to know what does God want to do. And then he chooses to obey that, not to, to be saved by that, but because God wants to be greater. Let's finish with this one first. Yes, Rona. So the law exposes our sin. The law uh, uh, gives us the way, as it were. It, it helps us to know what God requires of us. Um, and so what the Apostle Paul is arguing there in Romans 6, when he says, Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? And then he says, By no means. He's saying, the grace of God does not nullify the law of God in the sense that even though we are saved by grace alone, the evidence that we are saved, even though uh, we are saved by grace alone, the proof that we have been saved by this grace is that there is a desire to obey God. And so the law of God plays that role of exposing our sin, pointing us to Christ, helping us to depend on him giving us the direction showing us the will of god that we may that we we know the the way that we should walk and then in obedience to the law of god the christian is displaying that i have put my faith in christ god has saved me by his grace why, why would i not obey him why would i not want to follow him there's a new desire in the christian out of the grace of god that has saved them to want to follow god not because god will save them out of that law, but because God has already saved them through uh, the gospel of his grace. Does that suffice? Yes. Actually, a category is grace. It says in the last week in the Bible, Matthew, Of God, I 
Yeah, grace is God's unmerited favor. Now, <clears throat> we are able to live out the Christian life because God grants us that unmerited favor. We are able to give in a particular way because God enables us out of his unmerited favor. So, so the enablement that we have to be saved to, to, to understand the gospel and to repent of our sins is out of the grace of God. It, it, it's, it's, uh, grace is that thing that God does uh, to, to help us to understand the gospel. And then it's at the same time that thing that God does in us to help us to walk the way that uh, we are supposed to walk. And so the what it is called is un the unmerited favor of God. So if I walk in a particular way that is very godly, it's because God has been gracious to me. It's because so, so when we say that God has been gracious to me, we mean that God has given us his favor that we do not deserve so that we may be able to walk like that. So that we may be able... So it's, it's the same thing that displays itself in a couple of ways from the time we are saved up to the time of the consummation um, the same from the grace of God again we do have the common grace no, that's another thing yes yeah, so <clears throat> when we talk of common grace this is coming out of the attribute of God of him being gracious so, so when we look at the attributes of God we have uh, uh, the attribute of graciousness that God is gracious when we say that God is gracious we do not only mean that he grants us salvation by grace and enables us to live the Christian life out of his grace out of his mere good pleasure out of his unmerited favor but we also mean that when the sun shines out of God's grace his goodness his uh, again unmerited favor it's not like the unbeliever deserves God to give him rain, right? We don't deserve to sleep and wake up. And so God, out of his grace, grants common grace. He gives the unbeliever the opportunity to see another day that they may, they may, they may be able to come to him. And in that sense, common grace essentially should direct to special grace. It should direct to the saving grace of God. And so when we, when we <clears throat> proclaim the gospel, we remind the sinner of the graciousness of God to them, to wake up, to, to have the means to move around, to, to breathe in and out and all that, so that we may point them to the saving grace of God that is found in Jesus Christ. Grace. Yes. So, that, uh, like, you know, the charismatic 
which is not even good because but again if there was such a thing as who are in a certain place that they are doing God in a certain place of doing in Christ as a result place of growth in grace especially transcending to the nation mm-hmm. yes yeah you're right I'd like to recommend to you there a book by Sinclair Ferguson Growing in Grace a brilliant brilliant uh, uh, <coughs> book on all these aspects of of grace um, yeah yeah It is God's unmerited favor for Paul to be able to do the work that God requires him to do. So that when Paul is going to do the work of God, he's not to think that he is sufficient in and of himself to do it. God is telling him, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to give you this favor that you don't deserve to be able to do that work. And of course that comes with the enablement to do it. There's the strength to do it. But then that's that's the, the aspect there is a bit different with sa- saving grace because it's not as though because the grace of God is sufficient to the Apostle Paul, he can now go and sleep. There's an aspect in which uh, when we when we are saved, the grace of God works hand in hand with our responsibility. Um, so that when Paul says in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's telling us to do something. He's telling us to be faithful in going to church and reading our Bibles and praying. And then he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So, so as you do those things, have it in the back of your mind, minds that God enables you to do it. God grants you the grace to be able to do it. So then this solar, solar gratia means that we make no contribution to the salvation that God gives us apart from sin the only contribution that you bring to the table in your salvation is your sin the only thing that you give god is your sinfulness and god graciously saves you saves all kinds of people he saves men and women young and old rich and poor salvation is all of god's grace like to make a couple of applications here three of them number one the basis of our assurance 
is because we understand that salvation is by grace alone. You see, the, the reason we are, we are sure that we would see eternity, we would see God, it's not because we are such good people. It's not because you, you know, it's not even because you, you, you have so much fruit. Even though bearing fruit grants some assurance, ultimately we are sure because we know that God is gracious. And in his grace, he has given us Christ, who is the object of our faith. And that gives us comfort. That grants us assurance. And so the basis of our assurance is because we understand that salvation is by grace alone. Number two, to reject sola gratia is to reject the only true gospel. Because again, salvation is by grace alone. To reject sola gratia is to reject the only true gospel. The gospel says there is nothing that you can bring. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And so if you reject sola gratia, a salvation is not by grace alone. If you think that there is some contribution that you have given God for him to save you, you do not have the true gospel because the true gospel says, come with all your sin and God in his grace will cleanse you. He will wash you. He will sanctify you because he is a gracious God. And then number three and lastly, praise the Lord for his grace in salvation. Praise the Lord for his grace in salvation. Praise the Lord. Ye saints, adore him. Praise him for his grace, his favor, unmerited. Praise the Lord in the heavens. Praise the Lord in the earth. Praise the Lord everywhere because of his saving grace. There's a song that we... We used to sing that I like till today. If God helps me, I'm going to add some lyrics to it. Kama siyo wewe, ningekuwa wapi mimi? Umejawa na rehema na neema tele. Like that song. Problem is, <laughs> there's nothing else to it. If it were not for God's grace, where would we be? Where would you be? If God would not have been gracious to you. And so the mantra of the Christian should be sola gratia. It's by grace alone that I have been saved. And because of that, then I praise my God. I sing praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him for he is my health and my salvation. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you because you are a gracious God. that out of your grace you've saved a people for yourself 
that those who are saved are not saved because they have anything. They give you anything. They bring anything to you. But those who are saved are saved by grace alone. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not our own doing. This is the free gift of God. It's not our own doing so that no one may boast. We have broken your law time and time again. And thus we need your grace. If any one of us is going to be saved, it's going to be because of your grace. So we praise you for your grace. We thank you for Even though we have nothing but sin, you have everything and you display it in your grace, by your grace, to lost sinners like us through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and it is by his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>